But understanding the five solas resets our misunderstanding of how God saves. And this, in turn, will provide comfort and it will deepen our love and gratitude toward God. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Fox Den. Before we begin, I want to make a plug for the Society of Reformed Podcasters. This is a group of podcasters from a Reformed perspective, and they have a website which contains the most recent episodes of these different podcasts. And you can find these episodes at reformpodcast.com. And I encourage you to go there and to listen to the different podcasts. They cover a variety of topics, so you're probably going to find whatever you're looking for. And the Fox Den is honored to be a member of the Society of Reform Podcasters. Now that I've made this plug for the Society of Reform Podcasters, let's begin with this episode. And I want to take some time to look at what is known as the five solas. But before I do, let me give you some historic background. And this is going to be very general. I'm not going to cover a lot of details. So going back to the 15th century, the Roman Catholic Church was very influential throughout all of Europe. And during this time, the Pope sold indulgences. Now, an indulgence was a way of shaving time off of purgatory. Now, as Protestants, we don't believe in purgatory, but the Roman Catholic Church does. So if you're a Roman Catholic and you're listening to this episode, please forgive me if I don't get this completely correct. As I understand purgatory, it's kind of a holding place before you get to heaven. And in this holding place, you pay additional penalties before you get into heaven. And these indulgences were sold to shave time off of purgatory. So you could reduce your time simply by paying for one of these indulgences. And you could do this for yourself or someone else. You could buy an indulgence for a loved one who had passed away. So back there in the early 16th century, the Pope was selling these indulgences. So during this time, there was a young monk by the name of Martin Luther, and he had several issues with these indulgences, and he had several issues with the Pope. In 1517, he wrote 95 theses and nailed them to the church door in Wittenberg, Germany. Long story short, these 95 theses caused a firestorm, and in 1521, Luther was condemned. And as he was returning home, he was kidnapped by friends and hidden because they believed that Luther would be arrested and then executed. Now, though Luther is not the only reformer during this time, his 95 theses are considered the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Now let's dissect that phrase, Protestant Reformation. Protestant really means one who protests, a protestant. We just say a Protestant. And Reformation means to reform and has to do with reforming the church. So Reformation here doesn't mean reforming theology because theology is established by God and it's communicated in the Bible. So the Protestant Reformation is really a break from the Roman Catholic Church and its teachings and a return to the teachings of the Bible. Presbyterians and Reformed churches, Baptists, Lutherans, non-denominational churches, Methodists are all Protestants and differ significantly from the Roman Catholic Church. For example, these churches do not believe in purgatory. Now, there's several other things that we disagree with the Roman Catholics, but I won't go into that here. Perhaps I'll do another episode to talk about the differences between Protestant and Catholic churches. Now, as a side note, the term Reformed really means the theology of the Reformation. 
So when we call ourselves Reformed, we mean we hold to the teachings communicated in the Protestant Reformation. So, for example, the Society of Reformed Podcasters. When you go and listen to those podcasts, you know their theological views for the most part. You know that they hold to the theology of the Reformation. So by Reformed, we don't mean we're reforming theology. We're not reforming Christianity. And we also don't mean that we're better than other Christians. It actually may sound kind of a haughty title, I'm Reformed, as if I'm better than you are. That's not the point when we use the term Reformed. It simply means holding to the theology of the Reformation, that time when the Reformers broke away from the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the five solas are key frameworks found in the Protestant Reformation. Did Martin Luther published the five solas? I don't think so, but he would have held to these views. Now, according to an article on the Gospel Coalition website, the five souls distinguish the teachings of the Reformation from that of the Roman Catholic Church. And I'll leave a link to this article in the description section. So the first sola is sola scriptura, and this means scripture alone. Most religions have a sacred book to define their religion. Some religions believe their religious leaders are authoritative. For example, the Catholic Church holds to papal infallibility. Now, one article I read says that non-Catholics typically misunderstand what they mean by papal infallibility. But what I want you to see here is that the Pope has a great deal of authority in the Roman Catholic Church. They consider him the head of the Church. Now, we would disagree because of verses like Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 where it clearly states that Christ is the head of the church. So Protestants would not hold this position. No man, pope or pastor, has authority equal to the Bible. A pastor's role is to communicate that which is communicated in the scriptures, that which is communicated in the Bible. But their authority is derived from the Bible. It's not equal to the Bible. You see, Jesus is still the shepherd The pastor is merely a voice box of Christ. Furthermore, when we say scripture, we mean the Bible. So the Bible alone is authoritative. Now, the first thing to mention here is that we hold to sola scriptura, or the Bible alone, because God is the author of the Bible. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3, verse 16, that the Bible is breathed out by God. And Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, that men prophesied as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So here we can see that God is the author of the Bible. God is the speaker through the prophet. So therefore, if God is the author of the Bible, then it's authoritative, and no man has equal authority to the Bible, because no man has equal authority to God. So God communicates to us through the Bible. So he is the author, and the men who wrote it were his writing utensils. Again, therefore, it alone has authority to command what we believe and how we behave. Now, there are a couple things to mention here. First, the Bible is necessary to know God, to know the way of salvation, and to know how to live. God has revealed himself in creation. For example, every living organism is built up of cells. And you take one of those cells and look inside and you see a nucleus. And in that you will find DNA. That DNA is an instruction manual on how to build proteins. And also in all of those cells are mechanisms to build those proteins. So think about it. 
In every cell, there's an instruction manual and a machine, and that machine interprets the instruction manual to build proteins. Who wrote the instruction manual? Who built the machine in those cells? As I sit here recording this podcast in front of me is a computer. Do I believe that that computer came about after billions of years? No. I look at this computer and I know somebody designed it and built it. The computer itself is evidence that there's a builder. Same thing with the chair that I'm sitting in or the microphone that I'm speaking into. I've never met the people, but I know that there's a builder. There's a designer because I'm sitting in the chair. I'm speaking into the microphone. I'm looking on my computer. It's the same thing with every living organism. It's built up of cells that has an instruction manual in it and a machine to build the proteins. So God has revealed himself in creation. But we can only know so much about God through creation. We can see how powerful he is when we look at the sun, when we look at the stars. We can see how great he is. We can see how wise he is. We can see so many other things. Creation doesn't tell us about the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the only way to know God, to know how he saves, and to know how we are to live as his people is through the Bible. Take a look at the Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 1, paragraph 7. And there it says, All things in Scripture are not alike plain in themselves, nor alike clear unto all. Yet those things which are necessary to be known, believed, and observed for salvation are so clearly propounded and opened in some place of Scripture or other that not only the learned but the unlearned in a due use of the ordinary means may attain unto a sufficient understanding of them. So from this paragraph, we can see that the Bible communicates those things which are necessary for salvation. So we talk about the necessity of Scripture. Second, as the Confession of Faith mentions, the Bible is sufficient to inform us about God's way of salvation. In other words, you don't need anything else to tell you how to be saved. The Bible communicates that And even the unlearned can see it. And by unlearned, they're just talking about those who are not educated in the Bible. So, sola scriptura means that the Bible is the only authority to tell us what to believe and how to behave. The next sola is solus Christus. You've probably heard people say that there are many ways to God. But is that true? Jesus says that nobody comes to the Father except through him. He tells us that in John chapter 14, verse 6. Furthermore, in that verse, Jesus doesn't say that he is a way. He says that he is the way. And that means that there is no other way to the Father except through him. And that's what solus Christus means. Christ alone is the only way to the Father. He is the way to salvation. So by what authority does Jesus make such a statement that he is the way? Well, he's God. John chapter 1, we see that the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. So Jesus is the Word who became flesh. He became a man. And then also in John chapter 20, verse 28, Thomas calls Jesus God. So if Jesus says he's the way, then he's the way, because he is God and God cannot lie. So God saves his people in Christ alone. You're saved because you're in him. You're not a partner with Jesus in your salvation. You don't come alongside him and work toward your salvation. Christ alone did all the work. 
So in Christ alone, you are saved. It's not Christ plus you and your good works. It's Christ alone. Jesus didn't come most of the way, and now it's up to you to go the remainder of the way. Jesus did all the work. So you are saved in Christ alone. So the next sola is sola gratia. And this means that salvation comes by grace alone. Now many people think that they must earn their way to heaven. Certainly God expects you to do something to get into heaven, right? I mean, that's how we think. But there's a massive problem here. We're guilty in Adam. He represented us in the Garden of Eden, and he sinned against God by eating the forbidden fruit. His sin is our sin, and we fell with him when he ate the forbidden fruit. Therefore, we're guilty in him. And if we're guilty, then we have no hope of earning our own salvation. No amount of good works will nullify your guilt. Furthermore, you sin many times each day, so those sins would cancel out any good works that you've done. So then, how does God save if we can't nullify our guilt? We'll take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. God doesn't save us because we deserve it. He saves us because it pleases him to do so. For by grace you have been saved. You see, this salvation is a gift from God. It's purely a gift from God. He saves us by his grace alone. So grace stands in opposition to works. You cannot earn your salvation. God gives it to you by his grace alone simply because it pleased him to do so. Furthermore, this shows you that salvation is all a work of God. You offer nothing in your salvation. God does all the work and he saves his people in Christ simply because it pleased him to do so. Now keep in mind, it's grace alone in Christ alone. It's not grace plus good works. If you add anything to grace, it's no longer grace. It's grace plus nothing else. We are saved by grace alone in Christ alone. And then that leads us to our next sola, sola fide. And this means faith alone. Again, many people think that they have to do something in order to be saved. This is actually true. You have to do something in order to be saved. However, that thing you have to do is believe. But what are you to believe? Take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. That defines faith for us. Faith is the assurance of those things for which we hope. It's believing those things that we can't see. This doesn't necessarily mean believing in angels and demons, those things that we can't see. It means believing the promises of God which we have yet to realize. So, for example, Abraham died without receiving the promise. Does that mean that God failed him? No, he's going to receive the promise. It wasn't realized yet. We haven't reached the end of time. Jesus hasn't returned. Or look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God promised Satan that he would defeat him. Satan is defeated, but it's not completed yet. Jesus hasn't returned. So faith is believing the promises of God which have yet to be realized. In essence, we're supposed to believe God. First, you believe that he's a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Second, you believe what he says about himself and what he says about you. He is a holy God, and you are sinful. You are guilty in Adam. And because of your guilt and your sin, you can do nothing to save yourself. That means you cannot do enough good works to save yourself, to earn your place in heaven. And then furthermore, you're to believe what God tells you about Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6, He is the way, the truth, and the life. 
Furthermore, he took our sins on himself and he died the death that we deserved. So sola fide means that we are saved by faith in Christ alone. By recognizing our sin and depending on the good work of Christ for our salvation, trusting that his perfect life, death, and resurrection is sufficient to rescue you, to save you from sin, death, and the devil. Now let me define faith just a little bit more at this point. Faith is believing, but it's not merely cognitive. Faith produces action. And that's actually the point that James makes in James chapter 2, verse 18. For example, as I record this episode, I'm sitting in a chair. I believe this chair will hold me up. Do you know what the proof is that I believe that this chair will hold me up? I'm sitting in it. I put my full weight on it. The action my faith produced is sitting in the chair. Do you think I'd sit in this chair if I didn't believe it would hold my weight? Or said another way, if I say I believe the chair will hold my weight, but I refuse to sit in it, my action of not sitting indicates that I don't really believe. So what does this look like concerning Christ? You believe you deserve God's condemnation because of your guilt and sin, yet the perfect life, death, and resurrection of Christ is sufficient for your salvation. You trust that his work is sufficient for you. You don't trust in your own work. You stop doing good works to be saved, and you do good works for the glory of God and as an act of deep love and gratitude for the grace that God has poured out on you. Works accompany salvation. They're not a means to it. Faith stands in opposition to works for salvation. We are saved by God's grace alone, by faith in Christ alone. And this is faith alone in Christ not faith plus works. So our final sola is soli deo gloria. And this means for the glory of God alone. Salvation is completely the work of God, which means he gets all the glory concerning your salvation. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Your salvation is not your own doing. It's a gift from God. God saved you by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that you could not boast about it. You get absolutely no credit regarding your salvation, not even a speck. God gets all the glory for your salvation. He saved you apart from anything that you have done. He saved you by his grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for his glory alone. So why is this study of the five souls relevant to you? Well, first, this is important because this defines how God saves. And this is counter to how we naturally think about salvation. Probably because if we were God, this is how we would do it. We would demand that somebody earn their way to heaven. So I think we often project the way that we would do it onto God. And we assume that he thinks like we do. So our tendency is to believe that God demands us to perform in order to get into heaven. And the five solas counter our natural belief about salvation. But understanding the five solas resets our misunderstanding of how God saves. And this, in turn, will provide comfort and it will deepen our love and gratitude toward God. And then second, the five solas are a framework for looking for a church. If you find a church that promotes you do something to get saved, get out of that church. That is a false gospel because you can do nothing to be saved. So when looking for a church, you want to land someplace that in some way teaches the five solas. Now, no church is perfect. 
And I remember years ago, Steve Camp once said, if you find the perfect church, get out because you're going to ruin it. And his point was really, there is no perfect church. However, though no church is perfect, you want to find a church that holds to the five solas. Now, they might not say it outright. They might not have it on their sign outside, but you'll be able to determine if they hold these views. You can talk to the pastor, but more than likely, if you listen to any of the sermons, you'll be able to pick up on this. You'll be able to hear if they really believe the five solas. So as you reflect on the five solas, remember to take time to give God thanks for the grace that he has poured out on you in Christ alone. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. And remember, faith comes by hearing.